Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Uh, Good morning, church. Uh, This is Memorial Day weekend. That's why you're jammed in here and crowded uh, this morning, and uh, and it's great to have each and every one of you. You know, Memorial Day used to be called Decoration Day, and it was quite a patriotic holiday, uh, honoring those who died in service of their country. And uh, I don't think we have anyone here yet this morning that's died in service of their country. Uh, That's out at the Veterans Cemetery on Riverside, where I have a spot reserved. Uh, But uh, I think it would be good to honor those that uh, have served. If you've served in the armed forces or are serving, would you please stand? Would you do that? Let's give them a hand, huh? Thank you. Thank you for your service. I served back during Vietnam. Uh, I got spit on in the LAX airport, and uh, and uh, I never heard thank you for uh, your service until I went to the VA hospital in 2008, and I heard it for the first time. And in fact, I, I heard it 11 times that day, and I got so much under conviction, I had to come clean with the last people, and I told them, I said, well... Three years of my service was in uh, Hawaii. <laughs> and at my age, uh, that was awesome. Uh, uh, and they said, oh, that's okay. You still served. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I have a, a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, uh, can't help where they sent you uh, uh, kind of thing. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we preached on Mother's Day about how people are important just as children are to their moms. And uh, one of our members, Jacques, uh, he he really took off with this. Uh, uh, He went home and uh, made out uh, invitations for a barbecue to invite his neighbors over and get to know them. And uh, he sent me a copy. It's pretty interesting. I should have had a slide made of this. Uh, The bottom picture is actually a toilet. And in the bowl of the toilet is uh, the charcoal, and it's going bright, and there's a grate over the top. And in the back of the toilet, there's ice and all kinds of canned drinks. And uh, uh, I guess uh, that's how they do it up in Montreal, right, Jacques? Uh, uh, he had to bring that from somewhere, and I think it's pretty awesome. I really love the top picture, too. It's a garden rake. And on each tine of the garden rate is a uh, hot dog or a frankfurter. And uh, you can actually do 24 hot dogs over one toilet bowl at a time. I, uh, I'll tell you, Jacques, you need to go on Shark Tank. Uh, you've got some great ideas here, and uh, I thank you for blessing me with this invite. Uh, that will get your neighbors to turn out. Uh, they may not eat anything, but, uh, but, but they want to see who their neighbor is. So uh, keep it up, church. Uh, uh, this is how we can apply what uh, we learn here on, uh, on Sunday morning. Well, uh, with all that, uh, let's pray one more time. Uh, I need it. Okay. <laughs> 
Lord, I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. I thank you that you're our helper. I thank you that you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit to indwell us and, and to fill us so that you can be seen and we can be hidden. And Lord, I do pray that you'd hide your servant behind the cross this morning and that we would all see Jesus together through your word, quicken it by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, uh, it's a difficult passage. I I just pray that uh, you'll put uh, sticky notes on our heart as we go through this. And as we leave today, there will be something that clings and and can encourage us as, uh, as your children. And we'll just thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you want to turn to Second Peter chapter 2, that's where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to be looking at the, uh, the whole chapter as we work through this. When we come to Second Peter, one of the things about Second Peter is that uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter wants us to be sure that we know and we realize that uh, Jesus is coming back. And we're going to see next week in chapter 3 that the Lord is really not slow about his promise. Uh, He's on his way, but there are some reasons why he hasn't come back yet. And uh, there were false prophets that were teaching that this wasn't going to happen. Uh, People had kind of lost interest in this. Uh, uh, It was no longer a driving force in their life. Uh, One of the reasons the Christian and Missionary Alliance has counsel and up till 10 years ago, they had it every year, and then to help save money, they went to every other year, was, was to continually light the flame about reaching the whole world with the whole gospel. The whole world with the whole gospel. It's not just a Western thing. In fact, it didn't start in the West at all. It started in the Middle East, and... Uh, and uh, it was coming together to kind of fan the coals and, and burn the fire about bringing back the king by reaching every tongue and every tribe with the good news of Jesus Christ. And in fact, Matthew twenty four fourteen tells us that. It says that the gospel will be preached into every tongue and every language, every tribe, every people group, and then the king will come. And so part of our gathering is looking forward to the coming of the king, even though it is every two years now instead of every year. Uh, My first council was 1976. Uh, This will be the first one that I miss uh, from that date. Uh, But I am still looking forward to the coming of the king. And as I look at the world around me and as I hear the news broadcasts and so forth, I definitely think that that coming could occur in my lifetime, and I don't know that I have a lot of lifetime left. <laughs> but I think it could definitely come in my lifetime. In fact, it, uh, it, might, even, uh, it might even happen before counsel happens uh, because his coming is uh, imminent. Uh, so, so as we look at this, know that part of the book is to remind the people that Jesus is coming back. Uh, I wish you could have met my father-in-law. This is Peggy's father. Almost said this is Peggy's husband, but I'm him. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about my father-in-law. My father-in-law was, uh, was uh, a different kind of guy. 
Uh, he loved Jesus, and uh, he loved the Word. He loved to study. He loved to to craft words. And in fact, one of his favorite publications was the Reader's Digest, and they had a section enriching your your word power. And uh, he would take that to heart. Uh, his uh, kids never had a cold; they always had an upper respiratory infection. Uh, he went and had some warts and skin tags removed one time, and he didn't have surgery removing a wart or skin tag. He had major surgery on his epidermis. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's your skin. Okay, But there's a lot of people who thought it was something else and shouldn't have been talked about in church. You know, uh, That was my father-in-law. And it was always a hoot going somewhere with him. Uh, I got to see things through... Uh, different eyes. I'll never forget one night we pulled into a restaurant as we were traveling, and he says, I'm not feeling very hungry. I'm going to eat light tonight. And uh, the waitress came, and he ordered a uh, thick chocolate malt and a piece of chocolate pie with whipped cream. Uh, (laughs) Just thinking about it puts me almost into sugar shock. And you need to understand that uh, along with these idiosyncrasies and so forth, my father-in-law was very much a conservative, and uh, uh, the fact that I'm wearing Levi's this morning would have driven him nuts. And uh, you just got to know how he was. And so here we are in California, Southern California traffic one day, and this is before bumper stickers really got popular. And uh, there was a vehicle in front of us with a bumper sticker, and we began to read it together. And it says, Jesus is coming back. And boy, is he blank off. I can't say the word that went in the blank. That's why it's a blank. But it just meant that, that Jesus is pretty upset this time. And, and we read that together, and the blank word actually came out of my father-in-law's mouth, <laughs> which I think was a surprise to him. Uh, <laughs> it was a surprise to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and like I said, bumper stickers hadn't become popular yet, but here was one, and they were proclaiming that Jesus was coming back, and boy, is he upset this time. And I thought, hmm, you know, it wouldn't be bad to see one of those bumper stickers again. I haven't seen one of those bumper stickers since I saw that one, and uh, that was back about 1972. And... Uh, and I think that we have lost the urgency of the return of Jesus Christ. But I want you to know something. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back as a Davidic warrior king this time. And he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. He's going to fulfill every promise to the nation of Israel. And as a church, we're going to reign with him. And there's going to be a thousand years of what God intended to happen on this earth with no death, no disease, no sickness, uh, uh, none of the things, no famine, uh, just ideal circumstances for a thousand years. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. I want to see what it would have looked like if if my great-great-great-great-great-grandpa Adam had never sinned, (laughs) you know? Uh, And I think it's going to look pretty good. So with that in mind, I want us to understand today that our salvation and our assurance as a place in the kingdom, when Jesus comes back, uh, it has everything to do with Jesus and and nothing else. 
Uh, Jesus is coming back, and all we need is the person of Jesus Christ. And yet in chapter 2, we're going to see that there are false prophets that they try to add to this or subtract to this, and, uh, and uh, we need to be assured that our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Uh, with that in mind, let's look at the first four verses of Second Peter uh, chapter 2 where it says, But false prophets also arose amongst the people, just as there will be false teachers amongst you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, being swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them uh, the way of the truth will be maligned, and their greed, uh, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And so as we look at those three verses there, uh, it sets us up and it tells us that false prophets will come and there will be people who try to mislead people. There will be people who, who try to corrupt the word. And this is why it's so important that we study the word and that we hide the word in our hearts so that we know what the word has to say so that when somebody says something that is contrary to what God says in his word, There's an alarm that goes off. There's a red light that goes off that says, this is not sound teaching. This is not what the Word says. It may sound good. It may tickle my ear. It may be what I want to hear, but it's not what the Word says. And we need to be able to go back and base everything that we do, everything that we teach upon the Word of God. This is our rule book. Now, since the very beginning... There has been a deceiver, there has been Satan, there has been one who is a liar and has tried to pervert and twist the word of God. And so as we think of these first three verses, I want us to understand that if we go back to the beginning, we find that uh, uh, there really, uh, uh, right from the beginning, was a lie. Uh, The first false teacher was really Satan himself. And uh, we can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and see this in Genesis chapter 3. And I'd like to start with verse 1 this morning. I think sometimes we forget uh, uh, our, our ancestry. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, for you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make her wise, she took from it fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then if we go on, we find that they hid from the Lord. Uh, (laughs) Ah... It's interesting 
Not long before this, God created Eve and brought her to Adam, and he wrote the first rock and roll song in Scripture because when he saw her, he said, This is my bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Wow Man. And we took the W out and just made a woman, okay? He was excited by what he saw. <laughs> and, uh, and then here in, uh, in verse 9, uh, God calls to him, and they're hiding. He says, Where are you? In verse 10 it says, And he said, I heard a sound uh, of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man who wrote the first rock and roll song and was so excited about Eve, he called her wow man, okay. Uh, In verse 12 here now already, he says, The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I ate. Okay, so he blamed the woman right from the beginning. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, all that harmony and love and so forth. It wasn't very long lived until they ate of the tree, all right? And their eyes were opened. No. Uh, Men still get smitten by their brides-to-be even to this day. And uh, let us not act like uh, Adam who said, it's all because of this woman that you gave me, okay? Uh, We need to own up. But what we see is the very first lie, and there are two lies here. And the first lie is that uh, basically Satan had this to say. He said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you'll be like God. You'll be very God. There are groups today who have this to say, and in fact, we live in a great area where it has this to say, an area known as Deseret, where they say, as man is, God was, as God is, man may become. And that is the lie, my folks. You and I cannot become God. Now, we can become the sons and the daughters of God. We can be adopted into his family. We can be born again. He wants to make sure that we know that we can be joint heirs with him. But we cannot be God. There is only one God, and that is the first scripture that any Jewish man or woman learns. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Amen? Notice he's one. Yes, he manifests himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he is one. And you and I cannot be God. We can be conformed to the image of his Son, but we cannot be God. And this is the lie that the serpent told. Uh, Lie number two, I'm actually going to take you to Galatians chapter 3 just so that we understand the two big lies that are out there. In Galatians chapter 3, we're going to see the other lie that arose, and and it was people known as the Judaizers, false prophets, teachers, if you please, that arose. And in Galatians 3, beginning at verse 1, we read these words, where Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, this, there is only one thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it is in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles amongst you do it by the works of the law or by hearing and faith? Even so, Abraham uh, believed God, and it was reckoned to him righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith uh, who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Here in Galatia, you had individuals known as Judaizers who were saying, yes, you need to be saved, you need to uh, repent of your sins, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you need to be circumcised. And the whole book of Galatians was written to refute that heresy, saying that Jesus Christ plus nothing equals our salvation. Did you get that? Jesus Christ plus nothing equals our salvation. We can't earn it. Remember Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9? Uh, you have been saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. It's not uh, of works. We cannot work our way into heaven. Yes, if we're indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> there's going to be a longing to do good things and, and to live in a way that is holy and set apart before God. But it is still Jesus plus nothing that equals our salvation. It is Jesus only. So let us hear this morning, church, we cannot become like God. We cannot become a God. We are his creation, okay? There's only one God. And we are to worship him as the Lord our God. Secondly, he provided a way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus and his work on the cross plus nothing. It was the finished work of Jesus. What did Jesus say as his very last words? He says, it is finished. And to thy hands I commend my spirit. The work was done and it was accomplished on the cross. And that is the truth. And that was predicted all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. If you go back there again, verse 15, it's known as the Proto-Evangelicon. It is the first hint of the gospel in the Bible. It was God's plan from the very beginning. Remember, God is all-knowing, Satan is not. And he comes to Satan in the form of the serpent. And in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, I have neuropathy in my feet, so I know that I have feet, even though they're numb and they burn like fire. I, I got feet, okay? And I'm standing on them. You can get bruised in the heel, and you're going to be okay. You're going to live. <laughs> it may cause you some pain, but you're going to be all right. You're going to live. I know about a little bit about foot stuff. But if you're a snake and someone crushes your head, or cuts it off, what's going to happen? 
you're dead. Jackie's right. You're dead. You're dead. It's over. It's gone. And, uh, and uh, so, so Satan's not all-knowing, but he knows that God says, okay, Satan, you're doomed. You're going you're gonna to bruise him. It's going to come through the seed of the woman. You're going to bruise him on the heel. <laughs> you're going to cause him some discomfort, but he's going to crush your head. And the victory is ours. Now, that's good news, folks. That's good news. Because it has to do with, with all of life since that time and with the judgments to come now in, uh, in 2 Peter. And if we go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, after he has warned us of, uh, of the false prophets and has really reminded us that it's Jesus plus nothing, then in verses 4 through 10 he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, that was his family, when he brought them, uh, brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he commended the city, condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction, by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what, they, uh, what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living amongst them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by lawless deeds, then the Lord knows uh, how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And so what the Lord does is he says, watch out for, for false prophets that are going to try and teach something that's not the gospel. And, and just to show you about this, God has brought judgment before and know that God will bring judgment again. And if we go back to uh, verse uh, 4 and 5 there, especially verse 5, or start with verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and commanded them, uh, condemn, committed them into pits of darkness reserved for judgment, uh, we see the first judgment is of fallen angels. Now, normally I don't think we hear much of this stuff on Sunday morning, but turn back with me to Genesis chapter 6. We're not only going to see the judgment of fallen angels, but we're going to see the whole necessity for the flood as well and the judgments that God has brought upon the earth. Remember Genesis 3.15. I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, and the seed of the woman. That seed of the woman is going to crush your head, but you will bruise him on the heel. Now, that is the truth. That is part of the gospel. And we get over to Genesis 6 already in verse 1, and it says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whoever they chose. And then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, 
And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. A lot of this scripture hangs on who the sons of God are. And I'd like you to turn over with me. I think the best way is always to allow scripture to interpret scripture. And in Job chapter 1, uh, as we see the story of Job uh, uh, before Almighty God, in Job 1.6, uh, we find this term. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came amongst them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to him, Have you considered my servant Job? Now if you turn over to Job chapter 2, verse 1, we find uh, uh, this uh, same phrase, the sons of God. It says, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came amongst them to present himself before the Lord. Know this, church. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is a liar. Uh, Satan is not omnipresent like God is, but uh, he covers a lot of territory. <laughs> he comes from roaming around on the earth. He comes in heaven. He still has access uh, to heaven. And uh, he comes as the accuser of, uh, of the brethren. And so I guess what I want to say is Satan is alive and well. And we should be aware of that. And he influences what happens uh, not only in our life and country and land, but in the, in the whole world. And he's at work. And his work is not a good work. And you need to realize that. Now, if we go back to Genesis chapter 6, You'll notice that uh, it says that now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land uh, that uh, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. We have a situation that when uh, uh, Satan led his rebellion, it says that one-third of heaven followed him. And so one-third of the created angelic beings, seraphims, cherubims, uh, Satan himself may have been an archangel. Uh, uh, they followed him, and we see that some of them were put in prison, but some remain as demons to do the work of the enemy and to torment, really, mankind. Now, remember I told you that Satan is not all-knowing, but he's a pretty smart dude? Jesus told him, he says, your problem, your demise, the crushing of your head is going to come through the seed of the woman. And so I'm sure in Satan's mind, he says, how can I corrupt the seed of the woman? Ah, oh, demonic beings cohabitating with women here on earth. 
Now notice verse 4 of Genesis 6. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those who were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Remember the Greek myths such as Hercules? He's half God, half what? Man or human, okay? Uh, I think there's truth to that. Uh, scripture tells us that in those days there were the Nephilim, the mighty men of, of renown, of old, the, the giants, uh, uh, the result of this cohabitation of fallen angels with women here on earth. And what was the reason behind that? It was not just so that there would be giants. The reason behind that was to pollute the seed of the woman. So that the one that was going to come through the seed of the woman (laughs) uh, uh, couldn't come. Couldn't come. And God saw what they were doing. And God's heart was grieved. And notice verse 7. It says, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created. A couple more verses I'd like to show you here. And if we don't get all the way through, that's fine, but at least you take away this truth. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, we read these words where it says, And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You see, folks, he still has access. And he really isn't cast out until in the future here, in Revelation chapter 12, Verses 7 and 9, we read these words and following where it says in Revelation 12, And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives The whole world was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even unto death when they faced death. Folks, (laughs) this hasn't happened yet. The blood of the Lamb wasn't applied until the cross. And we, the church, are those that have come to know Him since the cross. And there is a day coming as the Lord returns where Satan is finally thrown down out of heaven along with his demons. Now, some are already in prison, but for whatever reason, some aren't. And this is extra biblical. I can't, uh, I can't defend this. I can't, uh, this is really, really dribble. But in my own thinking, uh, those that cohabitated with women are in prison, <laughs> and those that didn't uh, still continue their demonic activity. God put a stop to what was going on back in Genesis 6, but the accuser of the brethren continues day after day, night after night, to be in the throne room of heaven to accuse us before the Lord. 
Don't worry about that if you know Jesus Christ, because in Roman, uh, Romans, uh, uh, oh, oh, I just went brain dead for a second. Uh, uh, Romans 6, no, that's correct. It tells us that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I stand before the Father just as if we have never sinned. Amen? And it's the blood of Jesus Christ on the doorpost of our heart that covers that and makes us stand before the Father just as if we have never sinned because our sins have been forgiven and they have been forgotten. Amen? Well, here with those that follow the enemy, uh, the demons, we find that uh, uh, there's coming a time where they will be cast down. And then if we go on further in a study of Revelation, we see that there is a time that they will be cast forever into the bottomless pit and sealed there. And all of this will come to an end. But can you see how, how Satan was trying to, to thwart the will of God? Not only in the garden by getting man and woman to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but, but then by corrupting the, the seed of the woman so that the Messiah could not come. And so that was the first judgment. Now the second judgment is in Genesis chapter 8 that he refers to in Second Peter, and that is the judgment of the flood. Uh, and certainly we can see and know uh, that there was a flood. Uh, when I lived in Price, Utah, I loved to go out to the San Rafael Swell. Every place that you found an anthill, you could get out and poke around and find shark teeth. Now, <laughs> what are shark's teeth doing in the San Rafael Swell? Uh, there was a flood, my friends. <laughs> uh, and even the archaeologists will tell you that this was once a great, great sea. Uh, uh, it has changed, and it left behind uh, uh, something that's awful uh, pretty, and it allows you to be able to go out and find shark teeth in ant- anthills. Uh, but, uh, but you see, there was this corrupted line based on Genesis 6, and God did away with all that corruption. I always wondered as a kid, why the flood? Man is evil today, and God hasn't wiped us out. We do evil things. If you have a smartphone in your pocket, and mine's in my briefcase, but if you have one in your pocket, I think there's already been two messages this morning of shootings in different areas. People dying. <laughs> it's evil out there. Amen? It is. You, you don't know what you're going to read next or experience next, and, and yet there's no flood. Why not? Well, I think the whole purpose of the flood was to clean up the bloodline, was to make, make it so the Messiah could come through a virgin, through the seed of the woman, as prophesied in Genesis 3.15. There are no more Nephilim. They are simply missed today, but Scripture refers to them. The bloodline uh, of Jesus is the whole reason for the flood. And there was one righteous family preserved, and that was Noah and his family to repopulate the earth. And this time, there was a stop put to this whole aspect of the sons of God knowing the daughters of women. It seems like a lot of these judgments have to do with... Uh, the misappropriation of uh, our sexual function. 
God created sex. It's a good thing to, to bless marriage, marriage between a man and a woman. But if we look again at Second Peter, we see that the next judgment that he talks about is the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, we read about that in Genesis chapter 19. And in Genesis 19, beginning with verse 24, it says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities that grew out of the ground. But his wife uh, from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went out to the place, and he stood there before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward the land of the valley, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Uh, I want to jump back to verse 16 here in Genesis 19. And it says uh, uh, there are these men, actual angels, that come to visit uh, Lot in uh, Sodom. And in verse 16 it says, But he hesitated, so the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and they put him outside the city. So the angels actually ushered them out of the city. You'll recall, if you want to read the whole of chapter 19 of Genesis, that when the angels arrived, uh, the men of Sodom uh, actually wanted to take them out and have sexual relations with them. And uh, this was part of the judgment on Sodom. It had become a homosexual mecca. Now, there are a lot of sex sins in Scripture, and I'm not going to be very politically correct today. Uh, God says homosexuality, that is, sex with a same-sex person, is a sin, period. He also says adultery is a sin, period. And I think we have to define things nowadays because we have forgot what they are, Adultery is sex with anyone other than my spouse outside of my marriage. That's adultery. He also says that fornication is a sin. Okay? And that is sex before marriage with anyone <laughs> before I get married. That's a sin. Okay, we've heard what the sins are. We need to hear about God. And I first heard Billy Graham say this. He was on the, the Johnny Carson show. Anyone here remember Johnny Carson? Oh, okay. I mean, even now, David Letterman and Jay Little, uh, there are some people that may not remember them. But Johnny Carson was before them. He had Billy Graham on. He says, Billy, he says, I don't hear you saying a lot about uh, homosexuality like Anita Bryant. Anyone remember who Anita Bryant was? Okay. She sold orange juice. And I think, I think she'd been a Miss America or something like that. Okay? Uh, he says, I don't hear that. Why not? And I'll never forget. <laughs> it was one of the nights I was up watching Johnny Carson. Billy Graham moves forward, and he's got these piercing blue eyes, and he's got this long finger. He says, Johnny, you've got to remember, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. He loves the sinner. 
And then he went on and he said he loves the sinner so much that, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should, should not die but have everlasting life in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, folks, I'm here to proclaim this morning that we're all sinners saved by grace. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And their sins, such as lying and cheating and, and lusting and, and carousing and, and gossip and, and slander and, and, and lying, and, uh, and, uh, and then there are sexual sins. Now, I don't think we need to be afraid to call the sexual sin sin. Lust is a sin. But we've got to always remember God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And so many times I think we get that confused. I, I think we get that all messed up in here. And, and, and we begin to take uh, uh, the sin out upon the sinner, forgetting that, that God so loved that sinner that he sent his only begotten son. And we forget that we too are sinners because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? We're all in need of a Savior. Now, I also want to point out that when it comes to these sex sins, that just because there's something in me that tells me that I should go and commit adultery, if I say no, that's not a sin. If there's something within me that has a proclivity towards homosexuality, but I don't give in to that, that's not a sin. That's simply realizing where our weaknesses are. If there's something in me that, that wants me to have sex before marriage, outside of marriage, that's, that's a drive. But if I say no to that, James talks about not allowing ourselves to give birth to sin. There are all kinds of things that come before us, but if we say no, that's a good thing. One of my favorite authors and one of my favorite mentors is Henry Nouwen. He's passed away now, a Jesuit priest. And he, one of the things I like about him is that he's, he's very open and he struggles with these things. And he had a strong proclivity towards homosexuality. But he lived a celibate lifestyle. He chose to. But he still talked about the struggles that were inside him. And we aren't immune from these struggles. But we have a Savior. And we have a Spirit who can help us to overcome the struggles. And we have a God who hates the sin but loves the sinner. Amen? Are you tracking with me? Okay. So, Sodom was destroyed because of its sin. And yet, we see that he sent angels to pull Lot and his family literally out of Sodom and to keep them safe. So, he talks to us about the judgment of fallen angels, the judgment of the flood, and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he reminds us that there are false teachers. 
And in verses 10 through 22, he concludes the chapter talking about these false teachers. And he basically says this. He says that the false teachers are bold and arrogant. And this is in verse 10 of 2 Peter 2. He says, especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Uh, and so he says, watch for these false teachers. You'll know them by their clothing, if you please. They are bold. They are arrogant. In verse 12, he says, they act like irrational animals. There is no control. There is no self-discipline. There is no saying no to the things that arise in their mind. He goes on in verse 14, and he says these false teachers are full of of greed and lust. And and you can read that there in verse 14. He says, having eyes full of adultery, and, and they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Uh One thing you should hear about uh, regarding the Christian Missionary Alliance, having served as a superintendent, and of course Rob has that role now, uh, when it comes to a person in church leadership in uh, uh, sexual misconduct with a child, it's zero tolerance. That's it. Uh, God can forgive you, but you will not be put back in a place of authority not back in a place where you have power over people again. You're finished. You're done. And and that's not because of a lack of forgiveness. You've got to remember that with sin, there's always forgiveness, but there's still consequences. It's kind of like the scar of sin. Uh, David was forgiven for his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, but he carried the consequences of that with him for the rest of his life. David did not finish as good as he could have. And that's just being honest. And so I think whenever we're tempted, uh, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves, one of the questions I ask myself is, do I want to finish well? I got 68 years invested now. I, I kind of would like to finish well. But you're, you know you're only one wrong choice away from not finishing well. But in the same light, you're only one choice, right choice away from doing the right thing. Amen? And so, so that's why it's a God of, of second chances. He says if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Why? Be- he loves the sinner. <laughs> he loves us. And he wants us with him forever. He wants us with him in eternity. Now, if you go on to verses 15 and 16, it says in Second Peter 2, it says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but received a rebuke for his own transgression for a mute don- from a mute donkey, speaking with a voice, a man restrained uh, the madness of a prophet. Now, this is one story I really know about. How many of you here this morning know what the King James Bible is? Okay, very good. Uh, And it uses King James English. So please don't hold me accountable this morning and think I did something bad. 
I'll never forget, I had a microphone like this once upon a time, and it was a missionary conference, and I was introducing the missionary. And uh, the senior pastor in the place brought a music stand, and he put it down in front of me, and as he put it down, he whispered in my ear. I think he thought I was going a bit long. I tend to do that, you know. (laughs) I used to be worse. Uh, (laughs) Okay, (laughs) you can thank your lucky start. But he leaned over, and he says, Doug, just remember, if God could use Balaam's ass, he can use you too. And, and, uh, and then he said, uh, and by the way, your fly is open. His name was Bob Knight. He's in heaven now. I look forward to seeing him. He's a good friend. And uh, he was the head of Child Evangelism Fellowship <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, in Hawaii. And he owned the CEF bookstore. So I finished up, and I sat down, and my fly wasn't open. He had lied in church. (laughs) But it brought an end to what I was doing. (laughs) And then I sat there. I can't tell you a thing that the missionary had to say. I had to recheck out Balaam and find out about, about God using Balaam's rear end. It turned out it wasn't his rear end at all. It was a donkey. Okay, and that's what they called him in King James's time, right? Okay. You see, Balaam was a prophet for hire. And you could give him the message you wanted him to go prophesy, and you could pay him, and with much theatrics, he would go and make the prophecy. Had nothing to do with uh, truth. Had to do with greed. Had to do with money. He was a prophet for hire. And he was going to make a prophecy that the Lord didn't want him to make. And so you know what happened? His donkey stopped right in the way, and it became the first Mr. Ed. Anyone remember Mr. Ed? It was a talking horse, okay? This is where Hollywood gets their ideas. <laughs> and, uh, and the donkey says, no, you shouldn't be doing it. And the donkey becomes the prophet. It should tell you something. God's not looking for our abilities. He's looking for our availability. He's looking for empty pots that he can fill with his Holy Spirit and he can use for his glory, and he'll even use a donkey if he has to. And he says, these false teachers, they're like Balaam. They, they prophesy for money. They teach for money. It comes out of their greed. In verse 17, he says, they are springs without water. Oh, what good is a spring without water? In fact, I'm not even sure you can call it a spring if it doesn't have water. But I reconciled it this way. Just next door to my land on my neighbor's property is a a pond or a big indentation in the ground. And it's actually my pond. That's my irrigation water. And I'm allowed to put a pump in that deal. And as long as the water flows and the pond is full, I'm allowed to use the irrigation water. (laughs) Well, (laughs) this year, you know, that snow we had up there about uh, 10 days ago or so, it it filled my pond up. But then my pond went dry. It dawned on me maybe something's happened to the the canal ditch because the water's running, and this is actually free water time in the runoff. And I go check the ditch, and I have a big steel plate in there that diverts the water down through this field and to the pond. And for some reason, somebody had pulled that out. I checked with the ditch manager. It wasn't him. Uh, but somebody had pulled that out, and I had to put it back in. 
And then the water has to make its way down through the field and to the pond, and you'd think that would be a quick process. Well, it has taken seven days. But as of yesterday, water showed up in the pond. (laughs) And today, it's almost full. You know how happy I am? It made my Memorial Day weekend. I have water in my pond. Now, it sits there half the year empty. It's still my pond, but it's not really a pond because it has no water in it. It's just a hole in the ground. That's just like a spring with no water. And it's of no use until it gets filled with water. And he says these false teachers resemble springs without water. Remember what Jesus said in John four thirteen through 14? I am the living water. Those who drink of me will never thirst. He is a spring that never runs out of water. Then in verse 18, it says false teachers target non and new Christians. And then in verse 19, it says uh, 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 false teachers promise freedom. Oh, yeah, just go do whatever you want. It's okay. Sounds like the book of Judges. It's doing what's right in your own eyes. Remember what Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, from whom I am suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his uh, uh, resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, that doesn't sound like freedom, does it? That sounds like surrendering our all before the Lord. And so... False teachers promise freedom, but uh, really the Christian life is a disciplined life. And then the last two verses, verses 20 and 22 uh, of Second Peter chapter 2, where it simply says this. It says, For if after they have escaped uh, the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus uh, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state becomes worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to return from the holy commandment handed over to them. It has happened to them, according to a true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to the wallow in the mire. Basically, what he's saying about the false prophets is they tell you that it's Jesus plus something else. They've been set free, and I don't think these have been set free. I think they've been enlightened by the gospel, but then they want to add to the gospel, so therefore they have never experienced the gospel. And he says, basically, it's like a hog returning to its wallow. It's like a dog returning to its vomit. Neither one of us want to go there. We want to be a bond slave, a bond servant of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
I got to tell you something that I think is funny. You may not think it's funny at all. But originally, John Randall was to preach this passage. And, uh, and uh, because of John leaving us, uh, uh, I'm preaching this passage this morning. And as such, uh, I think one of the reasons that uh, John has me preaching this passage is that John is returning to City Light in Omaha. And John interned under Gavin in Omaha. <laughs> and I pointed out, hmm, John, this kind of fits you, a dog returning to its vomit, huh? <laughs> and the next day I was informed I would be preaching this passage. <laughs> Let me say this. John loves Jesus Christ and so does Lacey. And they have both prayed much, and they have heard what God wants for them. And John is not a dog returning to its vomit. (laughs) But if we start out with Jesus, and we give up somewhere along the way, we, I, am like a dog returning to its vomit. And that's not very appeasing, is it? So remember this morning, Memorial Day weekend, that God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. And there's a judgment coming, but we will not experience that judgment at all if we have applied the blood of Jesus Christ to the doorposts of our hearts. If we have said, Lord, I am sorry. Yes, I agree with you. I am a sinner, but I need the blood of Jesus Christ who will wash me clean of my sin so that I can stand before you just as if I have never sinned. And that is the gift of the gospel. That is the gift of Jesus Christ. That is the gift of salvation, and it's ours. And it's a free gift. We can't earn it. We can't merit it. We can't buy it. It's, it's available to all of us who are sinners, and that's all of us. And I just simply say this morning, if you've never experienced uh, Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't leave here without doing that this morning. It's real easy. You just got to tell him you're sorry and ask him to please come into your heart and life and then thank him for doing so. And that's it. And then we'll figure this out as we go day by day and he will give us the strength to live the Christian life. And the bottom line is it's Jesus Christ plus nothing. Jesus is more than enough. Amen? Let's take that out with us today. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, guard our ears from false teachers. Help us to realize that from the very beginning you were providing a Savior and you have gone to great lengths to provide that Savior. Great lengths with judgments and all so that your Son might be able to come born of a virgin to live as we live, but without sin, and to die in my place, in the place of everybody in this room and on earth. Lord, we thank you for such a Savior. And Lord, my prayer is, if anyone is here today and they don't know you, that in this time they will simply put their faith and trust in you. And they will leave here today a son and daughter 
of the living King of God Almighty. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is more than enough. We thank you that you're coming back, and we thank you that we will have eternity to spend with you. And Lord, I'm not even sure that these things will even be a memory. But I do know this will be with you for all eternity. And I thank you for it, Lord. So Lord, take us from this place. Help us to realize that we have good news to share with those around. Help us to be loving. Help us to show grace. But also, Lord, help us not to shy away from truth. And we'll just thank you and praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.